Welcome to the Populist Perspective. I'm Tomas Reitkatz. Let's get into the news. First, the uh, Hawaii fire, um, unprecedented wildfires have been happening on uh, the island of Maui. Uh, up to 4,000 tourists have been forced to evacuate uh, so far, and keep in mind these are still happening, so those numbers may go up. Uh, same thing, the current death toll is around 93. Uh, a couple of days ago, that was in the high 80s, before that high 70s, and so we may still see that number go up. But uh, that very, very worrying uh, what we're seeing right now uh, in Hawaii. Um, and, of course, we see uh, that this is following uh, recent uh, global warming patterns uh, across the entire country, but uh, especially in a lot of these more tropical areas. Uh, we've seen a lot in California so far, uh, very tropical climate, and uh, we've seen a lot of wildfires there. We're seeing a lot now in Hawaii, and um, uh, what's really starting to become very worrying is as we see more and more of these wildfires occurring, uh, what we don't see is any real legislation to stop them, to stop climate change from being exacerbated in the United States. And uh, really what this comes down to is conservatives' uh, attachment to big oil companies, their, uh, their sort of willingness to hold on to uh, big oil companies' profits in exchange for dooming not just the American people, but people all across the world, in fact. And uh, it's very, very scary, uh, the effects of climate change that we are ignoring right now. I mean, 93 people uh, may not have died if 20 years ago we stopped investing in, um, in uh, oil infrastructure and we moved more towards uh, greenhouse, sorry, um, towards green, uh, green energy ways of stopping greenhouse gases from being emitted into the atmosphere. Um, now, of course, I want to I want to make sure that I express that no singular event uh, that occurs can be directly attributed to climate change. That's actually a mistake that a lot of people make, taking specific weather occurrences and saying this happened because of climate change. We cannot say that this specific fire in Maui happened because of climate change. What we can say is that climate change makes these fires more likely and it exacerbates how bad they are. And when we see how bad this kind of a fire is, we have to start questioning, uh, do conservatives really have our interests at hand while they are letting these kinds of events uh, take place to begin with by uh, allowing them to become more dangerous, by allowing them to grow in scale and uh, it's very, very worrying what we're seeing right now uh, in Hawaii. Uh, now, some people may think that the one upshot of this happening in Hawaii is that it's on American territory, meaning that conservatives may be more likely to care about it. Uh, I think that's unlikely, considering what we saw in California. Uh, very, U.S. territory, U.S. state, tons of wildfires, nothing got done. Very unlikely they would treat Hawaii any differently than they treated California. The one thing that I do think this can do, the one thing 
is uh, this can help reinforce a larger narrative to people who are on the fence that climate change is worth fighting. If you're maybe partially convinced, uh, if you've been fed some of the uh, propaganda that conservatives have been trying to feed to you, uh, but you keep seeing in the news again and again and again all these fires, it may just push you back over the edge into, okay, climate change is real. I want to do something about it. And so uh, these kinds of fires can help uh, people who are on the fence try and fight climate change. But as for politicians, conservative politicians elected by other conservatives who rely on that sort of extremist base, we're not going to see anything with them. And uh, anybody who thinks that they are in some way malleable is, is j just plain wrong. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's sad, but that's, that's the world we live in. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, reinforcing the narrative is very, very important in cases like this, uh, especially when we see um, a lot of, a lot of propaganda uh, allow, you know, kind of making it hard for people to know what to believe, what not to believe. When it comes down to it, people will believe what they can see. And seeing something like this happening in Hawaii is probably one of the most convincing uh, ways of sort of documenting these effects of climate change. Uh, and of course, uh, fires like this can be attributed to other reasons as well, in addition to climate change. Uh, th those include, you know, you need to keep the forest, the forest for the floor clean from uh, dry sort of natural debris, making it easier for these fires to catch to catch in the first place. That's one thing California has been working a lot on. It seems to have worked a bit, but not as much as they may have hoped, because you know climate change is going to make these worse, no matter how much uh, infrastructure you put into cleaning up the forest floor. It's not going to actually do anything if uh, the fires are going to become more rampant over time no matter what. Uh, it may slow the progress in the short term, but in the long term we're only going to see more and more of these over time. But even short-term investment is still good investment. Even if you're only saving 93 people in the short term, that's still 93 people that get years added onto their lives that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So that's still very, very important. We should still definitely be investing in that. Uh, but yeah, when, 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 we, when we get down to brass tacks here, we're either fighting climate change or we're not. And if we're not fighting climate change, we are letting disasters happen. And so that's why the number one priority of our country right now must be fighting climate change. Uh, so that's Hawaii. Next, uh, the US and Iran just finished a very long anticipated prisoner swap. When I say very long anticipated, I mean very long anticipated. Uh, there were some uh, Iranians who've been, uh, or uh, sorry, U uh, Americans uh, held captive by Iran who've been re requesting this for quite some time. But uh, the US finally got around to doing it. The deal also gives $6 billion to Iran for humanitarian purposes, which is questionable uh, at best, the uh, sort of implications of that. But uh, we're gonna talk more about that in a second. Uh, the negotiations were mediated by uh, Oman, Qatar, and Switzerland, all three of which, especially Switzerland, uh, famously very neutral countries, very good uh, countries to sort of handle negotiation like this. So I think good, it was a good job on 
selecting those countries. Uh, and um, I just want to make clear at the beginning, this is a good thing. It is good that we have Americans coming back to U.S. soil free from the uh, sort of totalitarian dictatorship of Iran and free from those Iranian prisons. Uh, that is objectively a good thing that we're doing that. Uh, the one thing that I do want to say is that uh, allowing these kinds of situations to happen in the first place is only ever going to be bad for the, the United States. And the reason for that is that when the U.S. imprisons Iranians, oftentimes it's people that are important to the Iranian government because we as a country don't go around just arresting random Iranians because we feel like it. On the other hand, Iran uh, doesn't have to play to those same standards that we do. They oftentimes, in other countries too, Russia, uh, Syria, can arrest random Americans, trade them for important people uh, that can be uh, of service to their country, and at the end of the day, they end up gaining more out of that transaction than we do. And uh, because we have the standards that we need to protect our citizens, we have to go through with it every single time. But I think it is important to start investing in preventing these situations from happening to begin with. And the only real way you can do that is by stopping people from going to Iran, or if they have to go to Iran, making them sign a waiver saying that they you know, re relinquish the right to, uh, to um, be protected at all costs by the United States should something go wrong. Uh, because putting the, c the country in that kind of a, a predicament is uh, always going to end with uh, some sort of form of a success for that country that is on the other end of that. And so uh, the United States really needs to make sure that we're not sending out passenger airplanes, uh, for example, into uh, Russia, Iran, Syria, so forth, even if we're not actively engaged in a war with them. That's still a very important thing for us to do if this is kind of going to be the future of relations with those countries, uh, unless we can ease the tension there. That's kind of the, the only thing that we're, we're going to be able to do. Uh, and so it's very important that we invest in that. Uh, very important. Short term, of course, uh, we have to do what we have to do. One thing that's promising about this is that compared to what we had to do in the 1970s uh, in the Iranian hostage crisis. Technically, this is still the same government as back then, but it does kind of show that we've grown a lot from back then. Uh, we're not in the same kind of situation we were there, you know, yelling for years and years and years to uh, let these people go and nothing, and then Reagan comes along and then all of a sudden, magically, poof, everything's fine. No, you know, th this actually shows that Iran may now actually be interested in negotiating with the United States in situations like this, which is, you know, it's, it's not... You know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not incredible, but it's something. And it's definitely a form of progress, which is, it's good. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it definitely worth getting citizens back. Uh, the other thing that's very worrying, of course, I mentioned earlier, uh, the money that we're going to be giving um, to Iran. Uh, now, you know... Uh, the details of this, uh, 
I don't know if they've been released to the public yet. Uh, I, when I was researching it, I couldn't find anything uh, sp specific on how that money was going to be spent. But uh, very important that we make sure that doesn't go directly to the Iranian government as, you know, we don't know what they could do with that money, whether or not they'll actually use it for humanitarian purposes or not. If it is being used for humanitarian purposes, that's good. But we have to really make sure that that's where that money is going. Overall, good that we got our citizens back. Bad that it came at this cost. So that's something that in the future we're going to have to sort of focus more energy on is keeping Americans in countries where they're safe and where we won't have to go through these kind of prisoner swap negotiations in the future. Uh, next, the uh, Ecuadorian assassination. Uh, presidential candidate Fernando uh, Villa uh, Vicento, uh, or Vivencio, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, uh, was recently assassinated. Uh, he was focus focusing his campaign on corruption violence in the country and environmental problems uh, or protections. And that second point really, I think, is what led to his assassination. Now we don't know for certain who killed him, but uh, the most, most likely uh, the group was uh, a drug cartel uh, slash organized crime group uh, called Los Lobos. Uh, and the alleged gunman from that group is already dead. But uh, many people from that group are being arrested as of right now. Um, and uh, it looks like um, there's a possibility that they may uh, be found guilty, partially at least, for the murder uh, of that presidential candidate. Um, and of course this follows many other assassinations that have happened recently. Uh, Japanese President Shinzo Abe and uh, Jovenel uh, Moise, who was the uh, president of Haiti. and. Um, uh, really when this comes down to, uh, in Ecuador specifically, is the need to sort of crack down on organized crime uh, in that country. And I think that's actually one place where uh, lessons from the United States can be applied. Uh, and luckily it looks like the president uh, is of Ecuador is being very sort of uh, forward on trying to uh, stop stuff like, like this from happening in the future. Uh, we've seen the FBI go into Ecuador to try and help with the process. Um, we've also seen uh, the Ecuadorian president respond with three days of national mourning. Uh, and personally, I think that probably the best thing that could be done right now to stop this from happening in the future would be something along the lines of what we had between the 1960s and 2000s, something of a, of a strike force uh, where um, we could, or the, the Ecuadorian government could more easily prosecute uh, organized crime units, stop them from having so much sort of power over the government. Uh, and you know, and for our strike force, it was mostly the mob, uh, the Italian mafia that we were going after. And it, it worked, I mean, we caught American mobsters such as uh, Anthony Salerno, Nicodemus Garfo, and others. And uh, if something similar could be applied in Ecuador, I think that would be uh, a very, very useful solution to this problem. And uh, hopefully, if something like that can be implemented, uh, it will be implemented in a way where uh, we have sort of swift and direct convictions of these people because uh, with organized crime, uh, you never really know when an attack is going to strike 
And so it's very important to get ahead of any sort of future occurrence, any future assassinations. Um, in the U.S., there wasn't really assassinations of political leaders that often by organized crime units. But uh, it, there are definitely situations where you can see sort of the applicable uh, techniques we used that could be used in Ecuador and in other countries too, in Japan and Haiti, that could stop future assassinations from happening. And uh, I think that would be a very useful thing to invest in. I, I think we should also continue to invest it in the U.S. Uh, a lot of that money kind of uh, dried up here um, when the mafia, the, the mafia kind of stopped being a problem. But that, that doesn't mean that organized crime is no longer a problem in this country. So I think that uh, reinvesting in the strike force world or whatever form of it, uh, stopping organized crime is definitely a useful thing to uh, invest in uh, and can only really lead to uh, you know, more prosperity for everyone, uh, less worry of violence, of these kinds of assassinations. And um, uh, I think one thing that this really gets down to is that policy of stopping violence in the country. If, if you have to sort of hide your beliefs in order to be free from the risk of getting assassinated by an organized crime group, that's when you know that you need to change your system because no one should have to, even in theory, change their beliefs or be threatened by their beliefs uh, and have to do that in order to sort of save themselves from uh, that kind of violence that uh, is very, very threatening and very, very detrimental. And that's something that definitely has to be invested in. That is something that needs sort of solidarity in stopping. And I hope that um, in the future, everyone in this country, in Ecuador, across the world, can sort of fully understand the significance of cracking down on organized crime. Uh, it, and it doesn't have to be in the sort of traditional American police brutality way. You know, there is a sort of clean and direct way of doing that that can save people's lives that doesn't hurt them in the process. Uh, and I think that if we make full use of that specific part of the justice of the justice system, uh, and if we sort of try and con convert that into a usable system elsewhere, that can only be a good thing. Um, all right, finally, uh, Donald Trump's indictment. So Trump was indicted for the third, yes, third time on August 1st, and uh, it looks like he may even be indicted a fourth time pretty soon, but uh, that hasn't come around yet. Uh, so this is just going to focus on that third indictment that we've just gotten, the one relating to the uh, 2020 election, January 6th attack, uh, that's being uh, led by special counsel Jack Smith. Uh, and what we've, what we've seen from Jack Smith is actually really, really good. Um, his efforts to really make this case airtight are very, very impressive, especially compared to uh, what happened in New York 
uh, just a couple months ago, not all that well-crafted of a case and not that important of an issue either. And so it uh, wasn't really all that big of a deal for Trump. This right here, if any case is going to put him in jail, a lot of people are saying it's going to be Georgia. I think it might be this one. This case is looking very, very good for that prosecution, the prosecution of uh, Trump. And I think that this one actually does a really good shot, a good chance of being able to accomplish that. And um, I hope that, uh, that that effort in this case will prove worthwhile. Uh, but let's get into the details a little bit more. So there's a long, very long list of federal charges here. Uh, of them include, um, uh, hold on, yeah, uh, conspiracy to violate rights and conspiracy to defraud the government. And that last one especially, I mean, wow, you're accusing the, the former president of defrauding the government. I mean, he, he absolutely did that, but it's very, very impressive that they have taken that step uh, in this case and uh, looks very, very good that they are directly addressing you know, the crimes that Donald Trump committed in trying to overturn uh, the 2020 election. Um, and uh, um, one thing that's a bit amusing is that uh, you see Trump really trying to put his time and energy into stopping this case more so than in the others, more so than in uh, another case he has right now around um, uh, stolen documents uh, that you know looks like it may do some damage, but not as much as here. We've seen a, a really a lot of effort uh, from Trump in going into trying to stop parts of this case, and it's not looking pretty good for him so far, but uh, it, it, it's really going to depend on uh, how elements of this turn out. Um, we, we really don't know until this case sort of progresses more. There is a trial date is even yet to be set, so we're going to have to wait for that. Um, but uh, this, one, this one looks like uh, it may actually do the impossible, might put Trump in jail. Unlikely thing for any of these cases. Uh, overall, I think uh, the general verdict is Trump probably still won't go to jail. Even if he is found guilty, Secret Service uh, will probably find a, a legal way to ensure that maybe he's under house arrest instead uh, at maximum, if he's even found guilty at all, which there's no assurance of. I mean, this looks like it's a good case, but there's no way to tell until the case actually starts, until the trial starts, uh, which it hasn't yet. But um, from, from as many different sort of angles as are visible here, this looks like it may actually end up doing the impossible. If any of these cases will, I think it's going to be this case. And uh, I really look forward to seeing everything that's going to happen in the future with this case. Um, and uh, everything that Jack Smith is going to be doing in the future, uh, if if what's happened so far is any indication of the future, I think uh, Ole can go uphill from here. Um, very, very good work from Jack Smith, from the entire prosecution team uh, on this case. And I think that uh, the sort of um, effort that's gone into this success, the 
what will hopefully be the successful prosecution of Trump is uh, very, very good to see. And uh, I hope it continues. So uh, that is the news for today. Uh, I'm Tomas Redcats. We, we will be back in two weeks. And uh, well, more news for you then. Uh, see you later.